Good morning and welcome to a special Sunday edition of Floods of Justice with Franklin Community Church. I'm Kevin Sage with the Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs, and we are continuing the discussion on coronavirus with a sermon titled Vipers and Viruses. Don't go anywhere. This is an excellent message. If you have your Bibles, open them to Amos chapter 5, and I want to read verse 24, where the prophet Amos says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, justice, justice. Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Led by Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs, affectionately known as Pastor Kevin or Rev Kev, he is the senior pastor of Franklin Community Church and founder of Franklin Community Development in Franklin, Tennessee. He is also a published author, teacher, professor, activist, abolitionist, husband, father, grandfather, scuba diver, and coffee connoisseur, which is why this podcast is brought to you from the coffee house at Second and Bridge in downtown Franklin. Let's begin the conversation. Ah, so it feels a little bit Groundhog's Day. We, it's like, all right, new day, same virus. New day, same virus. But we have we have some new, fresh ideas in the in the sermon plan today. How are you staying fresh? I, I got to shower today. Yeah, well, good. Yeah. I'm glad you showered today. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. No, Groundhog's Day is a good way to to uh, uh, put that. It's, it's, I'm having a hard time keeping up with what day of the week it is, I know, yeah. uh, you know, because there's just there's not a routine yet. Um, I did get out a couple of days ago and um, uh, drove around and had some ministry opportunities, trying to set some stuff up with um, uh, some homeless opportunities, uh, a pl- uh, opportunity we have to house some homeless people in a local hotel. Um, and so um, and I told my wife, I said, man, that was good. I felt good today. I got out and and. Uh, did something besides just sit at home and so uh, and so hopefully more of those things will come um, as we still try to practice social distance but yet at the same time try to stay connected in the community and also you know last week we didn't have these headphones on uh, yes you know, when we do our podcast we usually have the headphones on we tried last week just to re- to record another way and the sound was good but we thought you know the sound would be better if we if we put these on and so um, and so that's why we have these on uh, but anyway, so yeah, but that's how I'm doing. Hope you're doing well. Um, you know, it's just, it is what it is, I think, at this point. Yeah. The yeah. weather's beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. yeah. The weather and and, uh, <laughs> and our city driving around town yesterday uh, with the beautiful weather, people weren't practicing social distance so much anymore. Yeah. And so uh, our local government, our mayor, had to um, uh, basically close the parks with the exception of the walking trails. Yes, uh, but the basketball courts, the uh, the playgrounds, the dog parks, the uh, all that kind of stuff. They said we're going to close, and it's just going to be the green space that's left uh, for open because w- everybody was out enjoying the uh, the sunshine. So, and I was I was among those. I walked. My wife and I went on a walk, but we tried to uh, stay distant. Sometimes we're six feet from each other while we're walking. That's not intentional, yeah. but that just uh, uh, kind of happens that way. We've, we've hit the neighborhood a few times on some walks, and you're drawn. Like, you see people, and you want to go, oh, there's another person besides the ones that have been inside the four walls I've been living in. <laughs> but then you turn to the left when they go to the right. You're like, you go, oh, we got to go opposite directions. we got to keep our distance. And it's, it's, yeah, it's really, it's really odd. It's what we want. It's just really odd. That's what I keep telling people. This is just an odd time in our history. Uh, but anyway, so let's get started. Sure. Um, we have a study guide prepared. And so either on the podcast or the YouTube channel, there should be a link that you could go to and it'll download a PDF a study guide. And um, also, um, as uh, if you're on our church email list, you should have got a copy of that uh, study guide as well. And so I want to open with a prayer. I'm reading this prayer, but this prayer is also in the study guide. So if you have 
your study guides. You can follow along. And also, uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to, to Numbers uh, chapter 21. That's where we're going to be uh, coming from today. But, uh, but let's begin with this prayer. We believe that our lives are held within the encircling love of God who knows our names and recognizes our deepest needs. We believe that Christ is the divine child of the living God and that his grace is like living waters that can never be exhausted. We believe in the birthing, renewing, enabling spirit of God who yearns over our welfare as a mother yearns for her child. We believe that God is in the arid desert as well as in green pastures and that hard times and discipline are also loving gifts. We believe that our journey has a purpose and a destination and that our path leads to a human glory we cannot yet imagine. We believe that in the church we are fellow pilgrims on the road and that we are called to love one another as God loves us. This is our faith and we are humbled to profess it in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, today... Um, I want to share with you a story from the Old Testament about snakes and uh, make some applications for us today. Uh, you know, when I was young at a summer camp one year, I ran into a rattlesnake. I mean, literally within inches of stepping on its head. And, uh, and then it coiled up and started striking around it, around us. And it, it ended up being a timber rattler. It was uh, about five feet long when it was killed. It was about five feet long. It had nine rattles on it, which I think means it was nine years old. Um, and uh, but ever since then, I've kind of had this fascination with snakes. And uh, uh, even already this spring, I've seen a couple of snakes uh, around, and, and I can spot if they're poisonous or non-poisonous pretty quick. And if they're if they're non-poisonous, I try to take pictures of them, get close to them, and um, I, I I don't pick them up usually because I just want to leave nature alone. But uh, but so with this virus going on, it, it it drew me back to this story in the Old Testament of uh, of these of the when the children of Israel ran into a, um, a den of snakes. And the story is found in Genesis chapter 21. But before we get to the story, by way of introduction, um, you know, throughout history, snake venom has been used for medicinal purposes. Um, you know, and, and anti-venom is really snake venom. But even in other ways throughout history, if you, if you did a, a research on it, you would see that uh, snake venom was supposedly had different type of healing powers. And so throughout history, it was used to the point that you know, on the back of ambulances, you see this. Um, you see it in other places, but on the back of ambulances is what I think of. You see the snake wrapped around a pole, and uh, that's a sign of medicine, and it comes from that belief that snakes have, that venom has this healing powers in it. Uh, but really, that snake around a, a pole that you see on the back of um, ambulances is known as the rod of Asclepius. I hope I pronounced that right. But the rod of Asclepius. And, uh, and it was an ancient Greek symbol associated with medicine named after the mytho mythological god Asclepius, who was the god of healing and the god of medicine. And so that's kind of where that came from. I used to think it came from this story in Numbers, uh, but, but it really doesn't. It comes from Greek mythology, really, that, uh, that snake wrapped around a pole. But it does show that just throughout history, even in ancient history, uh, snake venom was used for medicinal purposes. And so there's an interesting story near the end of Moses' life and also near the end of the conclusion of Israel's wilderness wanderings. So you're coming to the end of their 40 years in the desert, and it uh, won't be long after this story uh, when Moses dies. And, um, and in, this, in this wilderness wanderings, they run into these snakes. 
And uh, it's been a long 40 years. If you were part of that uh, journey, uh, you know, 40 years wandering around in the wilderness, 40 years um, not knowing where exactly where you're going or what you're doing, that's a long time. I mean, we're going crazy after a couple of weeks of having to <laughs> uh, change our normal routine. Um, but for 40 years they had been wondering, and now they were on the verge of going into the promised land and conquering the promised land. However, uh, before entering the promised land, they encounter a den of snakes uh, that threatens to destroy them all. And again, the story is found in Numbers chapter 21, uh, verses 4 through 9. And what I want us to do in this lesson is draw some parallels and applications uh, from that story to our present day experience. Um, that's where the title comes from, Vipers and uh, Viruses. Uh, but here's kind of a, one of the things that I want us to just try to remember is this. The Israelites encountered vipers. We're entangled with a virus right now. And uh, what are some things we can learn? And so at this point in their journey, the Israelites, um, they had been in the wilderness almost 40 years, and they were approaching the promised land from the, from the south. If you have a Bible that's got the maps in the back, you could turn and you could probably see uh, the, the direction, you know, their, their wanderings, and you, and you would see this. But they're coming up from the south. Um, in Numbers chapter 20, just to put it in the context, because the Bible always needs to be put in context. And so before we get to 21, in Numbers chapter 20, what we read is that the children of Israel had requested uh, to pass through the country of Edom. And, uh, and Edom, the Edomites, who they had struggles with, uh, the, country of e the king of Edom said, no, you can't come through our country. And that would have been a shorter route to where they were going. And so they had to detour, and so they were forced to follow this mountain range called Mount Hor. And Mount Hor was a mountain, but it was also uh, a mountain range. And it is, among, it, is, it is while they were going along this mountain range of, of Hor uh, that Aaron, the brother of Moses, and the people's first high priest, dies. And so after his death, we see in Numbers chapter 20, verses 22 through 29, that after Aaron had died, the Israelites mourned and <laughs> sheltered in place, <laughs> is one way to say it. They mourned and they sheltered in place for 30 days. They stayed put uh, for this time of mourning. Then after that 30 days, uh, they took off again on their journey, but they were immediately attacked by the Canaanites. And Numbers chapter 21, verses 1 through 3, so the three verses before this story, tells us that the Israelites um, conquered and defeated uh, the Canaanites in this in, in this battle. Um, and so then they moved forward after that battle. They moved forward, continuing their journey around Edom, traveling along this mountain range, following the route uh, to the Red Sea. Uh, the exact location of where they are at this time is really not known because, again, it's more of a mountain range. The Jewish historian Josephus says that they were near the city of Petra, uh, about 50 miles south of the Dead Sea, near the Gulf of Aquaba uh, when this story, when this particular story occurs. And so if you think about it, 40 years of, of wandering. Now what we see from the children of Israelites is they're like, um, they're like our own kids. You know, when you're on a long road trip and they start to say, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And after a while, that gets on your nerves, right? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And so God's children are getting tired of the journey. And again, who could blame them? Uh, Forty years is a long time to be, uh, to be traveling. And so the story uh, continues, and this is Numbers chapter 21, uh, the second part of verse 4. As they were traveling, the story says, but the people grew impatient on the way. 
And I want to stop there, and, and there's other points I want to make, but I don't want to just speed through this. Uh, it says the people were impatient um, on the way, and, uh, and we need to stop and think about that for a second. Uh, some of us, some of you, myself included, but some, some of you have been on, on the journey of faith for a long time, and you still haven't reached the promised land. You know that God has something for you, and, you, and you're holding on to that promise, but after 40 years for some people, maybe longer, maybe shorter, but maybe longer even, you still haven't reached the promised land. And it seems like that every day is one step forward and two step back. You know, every day, here I am trying to follow Christ, do what he wants me to do. Uh, and this journey that I've been on has been difficult. Uh, you're, you're ready for your breakthrough. Uh, you're ready for things to be different. You're ready uh, for things to be easier in this relationship with Christ. You're ready for life to have less struggles and less heartache. You're ready for God to deliver on his promises. And maybe you entered 2020 uh, thinking that this was going to be your year. Things were going to be different this year. And now this, the coronavirus, uh, has kind of stopped all of us. And you're ready for God to deliver on his promises. Um, but you're growing impatient, you know. There have been times in my life when I've been like that. I'm just growing impatient on this journey. And I think what this story tells us, among other things, is that if that describes you and your faith, you're growing impatient in this long journey, just hold on a little bit longer. The children of Israel are almost to the promised land. So you're almost there. <laughs> Don't give up when, uh, when it could just be a short distance away. Hold on to your faith. Um, you're, you're almost there. But also heed this warning that really this story really encapsulates. And the warning is this. You know, you're impatient. Uh, but the warning is this. Impatience leads to grumbling and complaining. Uh, it's just the way it is. That's just a fact of life. You get impatient, you start to grumble and complain. And so maybe um, this extended period of time that you had in your house um, sheltering in place has caused you or your spouse or your kids or your dog to become impatient. Uh, maybe you have said or you've thought over the last uh, couple weeks, you're getting on my last nerve. You know, there's probably a lot of us have thought that. You're getting on my last nerve. And this impatience leads to complaining. Uh, there's nothing to do. I'm bored. <laughs> there's nothing to eat. Why can't I go outside and play with my friends? Uh, I'd rather be in school than to be stuck another day here at home, right? And so we become impatient and we start to complain. And so it should come as no surprise that as the children of Israel grew in patience, verse 4 tells us, um, Numbers 21 verse 5 says that as they grew impatient, they spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread. There is no water. If, he was, if this was happening today, they would say there is no toilet paper. And then the Bible said, they complained and said, and we detest this miserable food. You know, the same thing every day. Um, and now that's not the first time that the Israelites have complained, right? If you know their story. Shortly after departing Egypt, they found themselves uh, pursued by the Egyptian army and blocked by the Red Sea. And so they said to Moses, and this is in Exodus 14, verses 11 and 12. They said, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? That's pretty harsh, <laughs> 
You know, it's because we were slaves, and as slaves we wouldn't have a grave, so you just brought us out here so we can die? Yeah, that's some snark right yeah, there. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> and this is very quickly in the journey, Yeah. right? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And so they complained. But how did God respond to their complaints? Well, if you know the story, he divided the Red Sea allowed them to pass through safely, and then killed the army in the Red Sea. And so they complained, but God delivered them. And then in Exodus 15, the very next chapter, <laughs> the people uh, complained about the bitterness of the water at Morah, saying, what, what are we to drink? And how did God <coughs> respond to their grumbling? He turned the bitter water into sweet water by having Moses throw a stick into it. And so the people complained again, and God gave them what they needed. And then in the very next chapter, in Exodus chapter 16, uh, the Bible says in verses 2 and 3, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, so two and a half months since they'd been set free. This is the third time they've complained. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So how did God respond to their griping? Well, we learn from that story that he gave them quail and manna to eat. So again, they complained and God provided for them. And then in Exodus chapter 17 at Raphadam, the whole Israelite community uh, set out from the desert of sin. I've already read that one, didn't I? And so God provided them with manna and quail. And then once again in the story, they, they complained about not having water to drink. And God told Moses to take the staff that he had turned the Nile into blood with and to strike the rock and water flew from it. Now, there are many other examples of God's people griping and complaining and grumbling and quarreling. And each and every time they did that, God lovingly acts in the best interest of his people, meeting their needs in miraculous ways, even though they didn't deserve it. You know, again, it's like a, God's a better parent than I am, you know, because if my kids complain, I a lot of times I will provide for them, but a lot of times I'm like, you know what, you're just going to sit and suffer a little bit longer. <laughs> You know, you quit complaining, I'll get it for you. Yeah. But God's not like that. Every time they complained, he, he provided for them. And so here's the lesson from that. God's grace is greater than our grumblings. Right? Now think that through. God's grace is greater than our grumblings. When we gripe and complain, God still loves us. The Bible says that he is faithful even when we are faithless. Um, and so it is for this reason uh, that God, even in, even in our worst of times, God still takes care of us. It's for this reason that it's hard to comprehend uh, that while this time in the middle of the people's complaints, in the past they complained and God delivered, but now this time in the middle of their complaints, the Bible says in Numbers chapter 21 verse 6 that the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. Had God had enough? 
Had his righteous anger reached a boiling point? Well, it's possible that that's what happened. But just to be honest, personally, I struggle with making out God to be a vengeful God who would kill innocent lives to try to make a point. Uh, And so maybe there's another way to read this story besides the way that we've we've read it. Um, You know, it's it's human nature to blame God when bad things happen. When things happen that are unexplainable, it's human nature to conclude they were caused by God. So we call them acts of God. You know, the insurance, that's an act of God. You can't cover that, <laughs> you know. Uh, but are they really acts of God? Are, are they really God's fault or are they the result of the fact that we live in a broken world where bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? I mean, Jesus said um, that God causes the sun to shine on the evil and the good and he sends rain to both the righteous and the unrighteous you know that's what jesus said and so in ancient times it was quite common to interpret sicknesses and disease and accidents and natural disasters uh, and all those kind of things uh, to the fact that the gods were angry with the people and most of the time the solution was you have to sacrifice something to appease the gods and sometimes it was a human sacrifice But, and here's, I think, what I'm trying to get at. If we are not careful, we can do the same thing today. Uh, I've heard things like this said in the past. God calls 9-11 to happen because of our nation's sins. God calls the stock market to crash because of our greed. God sent the hurricane to wipe out New Orleans because of their wickedness. God allowed an innocent child to die of cancer because he needed another angelic voice in the heavenly choir. God has brought this pandemic on us because of our rebellion. Well, maybe. But maybe it's because we live in a broken, sinful world that will not be perfected until Christ returns. When I was in Arkansas, I thought of this story this morning as I was going over this. When I was in Arkansas, we had a tornado come through. And um, uh, a lot of the counties in Arkansas are dry counties, which means they don't sell alcohol. And so the county, beside our county, it may, it may have been two counties away before you could buy alcohol. And uh, so around the interstate was this liquor store. And the tornado completely demolished that liquor store. And uh, people's attitudes <laughs> was, ha see God, see what God did? God you know, and then within a year, the owner of the liquor store took the insurance money and built a bigger liquor store <laughs> and a nicer liquor store there. Yeah. And so, and, and I never heard, I want to ask people, okay, did God do that also? You know, and so we have this tendency, and in today's situation with, uh, you know, you hear people saying that this pandemic may have been a result of, of, of God doing something, and and all I'm saying is those, assert- those assertions are dangerous. Uh, if we're not careful, such assertions where God does, you know, we do something and God does something drastic like that. If we're not careful, that turns the God of the Bible into uh, the God of Greek mythology, Zeus, who strikes us with, um, you know, thunderbolts when we, when we mess up. And that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, as we've seen, when we complain and are bitter, he sent his son to die for us 
while we were yet sinners, <laughs> while we were enemies of God. That's when God showed us his grace. And so, and so uh, when it, to, to go back to that story then, we just have to be careful. It's best to leave such assertions and such conclusions to God and just trust in his sovereignty and in his grace and to say, you know what, I don't know why this has happened, you know, but I'm going to trust God uh, through it anyway. Uh, but anyway, what are your so thoughts yeah. on, on God's, uh, on the emotion of God, on uh, does he have a, a tipping point? Because we look at this and if we think of God as this uh, perfect being and his standards are, you know, so much greater than our own standards. So the smallest little thing that's not going to bother you or I, because we're sinners by nature, like we, you know, the, the smallest little lie or the thought in our head of frustration or aggression towards somebody else. That's not going to be a big thing in, in our head. But g for God, he's going to look at it and go, oh, this person just had murderous thoughts or uh, lusting thoughts or, or w you know, whatever it is. But to get God to a point, as, as the Israelites are kind of describing here, where he has a, an emotional reaction to it, what does the Bible say about, uh, you know, is God swayed by that? Because it seems like it's relatively insignificant um, in his grand scheme of things going wow i mean they did all of these things prior to it and then that's the one thing that tipped him because they've been griping for how many years about how many different things so you know is god swayed emotionally in that does the bible support kind of that character I, that, of that? That, yeah that's a good question and, and the best answer is i don't know um I, I do know the bible tells us that god's mercies are new every day and so it's not really a tipping point because every day it's it's new again um, and so he's far more patient with us than we are. He's, we can never out his grace, um, you know, but, but at the same time, the Bible does talk about God loving us and God uh, crying over us and God uh, being angry with us. Um, and so there's, there's this emotional aspect uh, somehow or another, uh, but sometimes those emotions, th those emotional aspects may be how we're trying to describe God. Yeah, because it is, seems like we, we're, we're is projecting because that's yeah. how I would react as, yeah. as a parent. It, you know, I would eventually get so frustrated, I would, I would snap, I would yeah. bark at him or whatever. Yeah. But would God actually do that? Yeah, I God's not going to snap. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and even when he does, even if, it do, if something does come across as discipline um, or anger, it's, it's, it's um, you know, God is a God of love, grace, and reconciliation. And so what, whatever he does or whatever he causes to happen or whatever he allows to happen in our life, the ultimate goal is so that we can be reconciled to him. And so um, even if it's punitive, if it seems like it's, it's, it's being, I'm just punishing you, God's really not punishing us. He's, he's, he's wanting to restore us uh, to himself. The, the goal is, is restoration uh, from that. But I think, uh, you know, again, sometimes in our own lives we'll say God caused this to happen. And I know what we mean when we say that, you know. But in reality, it's, no, this is part of life. God allowed us to go through this, uh, but he's going to show up and he's going to show us something, teach us something about himself through this. The Bible tells us that all things work together for the good of those who love him. It doesn't say that everything is good, and it doesn't say that God causes bad things to happen so that you will turn to him. It's just this is what happened. You made a ill decision. You had to suffer the consequences, and then in the middle of all that, God reached out to you in love and grace, and you turned to him. And then you look back and you say, you know what? God calls me to go to prison because he wanted to get my attention. You know, well, no, you, you made bad decisions, 
uh, and ended up in prison and God met you there, you know, um, instead of that God, you know, there was nothing else you could do. No matter what you did in life, you're going to end up there. I think that God becomes a puppet master at that point, and I don't think that's that's the right way to look at God, and I think that's how we have to be careful. Why is this pandemic happening? Well, ultimately, we live in a fallen world, and there's germs, and there's diseases, and there's sicknesses, and it's going to be that way until Christ returns, you know. And so now, here's where we are. And you look back through history, and you've always had these times of, of pandemics and plagues. As we looked at last week, churches grew during those times because ultimately, whatever happens in our life, the, the answer to the question is God wants a deeper relationship with us. You know, and, and there's been a lot of times in counseling I've had to tell people that, they, Kevin, why is this happening to me? And I'm like, I don't know. But what I do know is that God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. So press into God during this time instead of pulling away from him um, because ultimately that's, that's what he wants from us. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You know, all right. And well, so I think, too, like the just the, it's a tough situation when, it, when it's also that other people make poor decisions. And unfortunately, those poor decisions – have effects on other people so yeah. if, you, if you talk about like people who have survived abuse scenarios in life that it was not any fault of their own it was bad decisions mm -hmm. from somebody else yet they are you know they're suffering the effects for and they're suffering so yeah and so i think ag again i think what i was saying about this story is we got to be careful reading the story and think that the children of israel were just walking along griping and complaining and then god sent these snakes out of the air <laughs> right. you know just there were no snakes there and then boom now there's a bunch of snakes there you know and and uh, whereas the way i think maybe we should consider reading it is is that um the children of israel in the wilderness <laughs> there's lots of snakes in the wilderness right um i read somewhere that in 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 this area there could have been as many as as 40 different species of snakes and about 10 of them would have been highly venomous. And so, you know, they are in snake territory. And so as they're walking and they, they're going around Edom, so they're not, you know, they're, they're kind of forging their own way. And they're griping and complaining. And as they're griping and complaining, they just so happen to walk into an area that is infested with snakes. You know, um, the, the snakes were already there. You know, and they walked into them. And you can imagine if they walk into this den of snakes um, and then they start biting people and the people are starting to yell, then they're scared. And then the snakes get scared and then chaos ensues. And these snakes are everywhere and um, and they just start biting people and people are dying uh, from that. Uh, the the um, the Hebrew phrase venomous snake literally reads fiery serpents, you know, and so uh, and the fiery probably had to do with what it felt like to be bit by them. You just immediately, your insides are just inflamed. So these are highly venomous snakes uh, where once you're bit, you're going to die pretty quickly. Um, and, um, and you know, I, I can just imagine, you know, that, that scene. And now all these people, men, women, children, innocent people, people who hadn't complained are dying. You know, and people who, are, who have complained are not getting bit. You know, and, and so uh, and we're not told how many people died. It just says that, that, many of them, that many of them died. And so maybe instead of God sending these serpents, God simply allowed his children to walk right into this large den of vipers that scattered throughout the camp 
biting and killing an untold number of people. You know, to me, that's a that's just another way of looking at the story that in my mind makes a little more sense than that there was nothing going on and then God just started throwing these snakes uh, at, at the people. Uh, but anyway, it, it could have been that way, <laughs> you know, because God can do what he wants to yeah. do, but but um, it could have been, this is, your, you know, and then once they started getting bit, the people interpreted it as God was punishing them, you know. And, uh, and sometimes, I, again, I think we do the same thing. Um, we go through something in life, you know, something happens in life, and then something bad happens, and then through that bad thing, God gets our attention. Well, did God send that bad thing to you, or was it just something that happened and God used it to get your attention? You know, I think that's, that's what I'm getting at. Um, and so here are these people, uh, they're complaining, they start to get bit by all of these snakes, and they're interpreting it as God has punishing them for this. But God, in this story, what we see, God, as he always does, when the people are griping and complaining, has a solution. You know, he's already, when Adam and Eve sinned, immediately after Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3, uh, God told the serpent what was going to happen. God had already prepared a way and gave a prophecy that, Christ, that the Messiah is going to come and is going to die for the people. So God already has a solution to whatever it is that we're going through uh, from that. And I think that's the bigger story, uh, the bigger part of the story that we need to understand instead of God caused this to happen. Well, no, no, no. God was ready to deliver the people, even after all their bitterness uh, and complaining. And so the story continues. The people came to Moses and said, this is verse 7, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. Now, <laughs> I thought about that again this morning as I was going through this. I'd overlooked that part. The people had complained against Moses. Uh, I'm sure Moses, because Moses is not God, he was aggravated at the people. So here they are complaining again, and, and, and now um, they're being bit by these snakes, and they come to Moses and say, Moses, please go ask God to take this away from us. And human nature, I think Moses would have said, <laughs> you guys are on your own from this time. But that phrase, Moses prayed for them. After all they had done to him, he went to God and prayed for them. And what a lesson that is, that we're to pray for our enemies. We're to, uh, we're to love those who, who, who curse us. Um, and no matter what a person has done to us, um, or no matter what a person has done, if somebody says, well, you pray for, for me, we should be more than willing to put everything aside and pray for that person. And so Moses prayed for the people. And so during this imaginable, unimaginable heartache and chaos, the people repented of their sins. They were led to repentance through this act. And so they were once again reminded of their continual need for God to be with them and protect them. And, and that's the lesson, I think, for us again. Our need for repentance and for God's grace and protection never goes away. We can never uh, get to the point that we think that we don't need God anymore. And the moment we get to the point where we don't think that we need God anymore, at that moment, the vipers of this world will inflict their venom in us and destroy us. You know, uh, that's, that's, just the, the, that's just the way. That we can never think that we're beyond repentance and that we're beyond God's um, 
protection. And so repentance is the key that opens the kingdom of God. The key. You don't get there without repentance. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 1, verse 15, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And so I think we need to be reminded that Jesus did not come to make sick people well. He came to put broken people back together again. Jesus came to forgive us of our sins and to bring us back into a right relationship with God. That's what he came for. He didn't come and say, Kevin, you're a pretty good guy. I just want to make you better. No, no, no. You are a sinner. You need to repent. And I have come so that you can be brought back into a right relationship with me. And I think sometimes we forget about that. And maybe this pandemic, maybe a lot of this quiet time in your house has, has caused people to reflect on, you know what, my priorities are messed up. I need to repent. I need to get back uh, to a better relationship with God than I have. You know, oh, so did God cause that to happen so you will do that? Well, you know what, leave that up to God. This happened. It's caused you to repent. Repent and believe and put your faith back in Christ. You know. And so how did God respond to these people's request? Right. Moses prayed for them, and then verse 8 and 9 tells us that the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Now, <laughs> that's really something. Think about this story. Think about what's happening. God took their affliction, the snakes, God took their afflictions and turned it into their answer. God took what they thought was going to destroy them and turned it really into their salvation. And so he didn't make a bronze, uh, he didn't say make a, a bronze snake killer. <laughs> he said, you're being bitten by snakes, make a bronze snake. <laughs> you know. Uh, now, how many of us know or we've experienced the fact that the same thing that can kill you can also cure you. you know. uh, the best treatment for venomous snakes is anti-venom, which is a small dose of the actual venom. <laughs> you know. um, I get a flu shot every year. And, uh, and so that means every year I'm injected with the flu virus. Right? Because of an underlying health condition I have, I get a pneumonia shot every 10 years. And so I've had... You know, 20, 30, 40. I've had four pneumonia shots. So once every 10 years, I'm injected with pneumonia so that I won't get pneumonia. You know, and eventually, that's probably what's going to happen in this case. Somebody, the, the anti, the vaccine for, the, uh, for this virus is going to be part of that virus. <laughs> you know, we're going to inject you with this virus so that you won't get the virus. And so here are the people. They're being bitten by snakes, and God says, make a snake. When people look to the snake, um, they will live. And so here's the lesson. What the serpent meant to destroy you, and in my notes, I put serpent, capital S, referring to Satan. What the serpent meant to destroy you, God uses for your salvation. You know, and that's just an incredible lesson, I think. Um, we don't know what the days ahead are going to be like, but God can use it. To bring us back to him. You see, the Bible tells us that all of us have been bitten by the fiery serpent of sin. We've all been bitten. 
Jesus took all of our sins on himself when he hung on the cross, <clears throat> which is why he said to Nicodemus in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, he brings up this story and he says to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And so God is saying, look, remember those serpent, those people, they were bitten by the serpent and they looked to the serpent and they lived? In the same way, we've all been infected with this venom of sin. And the only cure is to look up to Jesus who took that sin on us. And so in the same way that the snake was lifted up on a pole, Jesus is lifted up on a pole. Emphasizing again our need for repentance, our need for forgiveness. Um, when I was growing up, there was a hymn we sung in church. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't know. Did you ever hear the hymn, Look and Live? <laughs> well, here, here's parts of the song. Uh, Look and live, my brother live. Look to Jesus now and live. Uh, Tis recorded in his word, hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. And so in the story of Moses, I think when God said, tell the people to look to the serpent or to look to the snake on the pole, that idea of looking was put your faith. Look through the eyes of faith for this. And, Jesus, and God was teaching us a lesson. There's going to come another time when I'm going to put my son on a cross. You look to him and you live. We've all been bitten, but only those who look to Jesus are healed. Um, and uh, and so the people are healed, and then they return uh, to their they return on their story. But uh, but anyway, in, any any thoughts? Oh, lots of thoughts, lots of thoughts. <coughs> I mean, just on that one, one thing that's that's interesting to me that I that I appreciate and admire with the Jewish uh, tradition and faith and culture is how how well that their history must have been passed down through generations to where. Jesus could stand with Nicodemus hundreds and hundreds of years away from Moses and still have that resonate to go, hey, you remember when Moses built that bronze snake and that that's what brought healing and life to people? Mm -hmm. I, I am going to be that mm -hmm. same thing for people today. And I don't feel like, or, or maybe it's just me in this modern culture. I feel disconnected. But maybe as a culture as a whole in America, we are so far disconnected from that that it does it doesn't resonate the same way like it yeah. without proper research and and reading and going oh i get the reference because i i sat here and i, I heard you say that uh, say that scripture and <coughs> i've heard it growing up you know just like the the bosom was lifted up the son of god will be lifted and you know it, it just starts to sound like yeah, I've, I've heard that over and over but it doesn't mean it didn't mean the same thing until just now hearing you talk about that. So yeah, that's you know, really what's interesting is <coughs> the, this story is five verses long, right? Yeah. There are other stories of God doing some incredible things that are in the Old Testament that are a whole lot longer than that. But this brief story apparently had a tremendous impact on the nation of Israel from that point forward. Yeah. It was like out of all those things that God had done for them, this, the one event that stands out so that thousands of years later, <laughs> you know, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and says, hey, you remember that story in the Old Testament? Yeah. You, you know, and so that this story followed them, um, you know, through, uh, throughout the rest of their, 
the rest of their history. I mean, it was that impactful, even though the actual story in the Old Testament is quite brief. Yeah. It's that impactful. And then um, Paul refers back to it as well. In one of his letters, he refers back to this story. And so it's just, it's just there. It's just there in, in the people's consciousness that, um, that this event happened. Um, and so, you know, I, I take it as it actually did happen. Now, how it happened, we can discuss. Did God send it or did they walk into it? Yeah. But it actually happened, and it left this impression on, on the people uh, from that. Well, I was, as I was reading your notes <coughs> prior to this morning, it even jumped out at me that I thought, well, I wonder, I wonder if they connected at the time because, uh, you know, I, I'm imagining the scene, the chaos. The Israelites have fled Egypt, and they're out in the desert and <coughs> seeking the promised land, being told we're headed towards the promised land, but it's taking forever. And then there's this disaster, this attack, this diversion trying to keep them from <coughs> the pom promised land is these vipers. And then I fast forward to uh, immediately I thought of, Jesus calling the Pharisees or Sadducees, you brood of vipers at a point in Matthew where right mm -hmm. after he had uh, delivered somebody from uh, demonic possession there, he calls them a, a brood of vipers. And I thought, did that have the same connection? Did they hear it? That, that, that the Israelites, even in Jesus' day, were headed towards a promised land of some kind, whether it's a, whether it's a physical, metaphysical, a mm -hmm. spiritual, emotional promised land that God has for them, and here are these Pharisees that are vipers in the midst of it, trying to s prevent people from going to their promised mm -hmm. land. So, it, you know, in our present day here, you would you'd even mention the word. Where are the vipers in your life? Who's trying to divert you, attack you, yeah. prevent you from reaching whatever that promised land is? And I, I don't know. Yeah. And that's really a good segue uh, to uh, the, this final part of this story, because I wish the story could end there. You know, this happy ending. The people looked and they lived, and uh, that points to Christ. And if we look into Christ, we live. Uh, but unfortunately, the story doesn't end there. There's, there's something else we need to, to learn. Uh, the Israelites moved from this experience of the, of the vipers, and, uh, and they went forward into the promised land and conquered the promised land. But their experience with the vipers left such an impression on them uh, that apparently they carried that bronze serpent with them wherever they went. It became part of their iconography or what, you know, it became, this is part of their tabernacle now. This, this statue of this viper, uh, they, they, carried, they carried with them. Um, and so this serpent statue became a symbol of God's grace and, and of his forgiveness, which is a good thing, right? Let's look at, do you remember that story? This is what that story means. This is what, you know, this you could tell your kids when they, why we got that serpent around a pole in the temple, um, and you say, well, this is why. Let me tell you the story. You know, and so it was this reminder of forgiveness and grace. Um, however, over time, like all things, over time, uh, this symbol turned into an idol, and the Israelites actually began worshiping that serpent uh, on, on the pole. Uh, they worshiped the golden snake on this pole, um, and they called it, uh, Nehushtan, uh, which simply meant a thing of brass or uh, a brazen thing, but it had the idea of this is now sacred. This object is now sacred. And so some 700 years after the event actually took place, 
If you fast forward 700 years, uh, Israel had a young king named Hezekiah who became king of Judah. And the Bible says that he did what was right in the eyes of God. He is one of the few kings who the Bible says that about. And so some 700, for 700 years, uh, the people had turned this symbol of grace and forgiveness into an idol of worship. Uh, and so then the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 18 uh, about Hezekiah, he was 25 years old when he became king and reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. And then it says this, Hezekiah broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. And that's uh, 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 2 through 5. So imagine that. The people complain. They get bitten by snakes. God cures them by building this bronze snake that when people looked to, they lived. The people knew that it was God who did this. But over time, they started worshiping that idol more than they were worshiping God, burning the incense to it. 700 years, you know, of, of this idol worship. And so for almost a millennium, the people had idolized their deliverance. Um, God called it idolatry. And so in a lot of ways... Uh, their cure had become worse than their disease in a lot of ways. And so um, as I thought about that, I, I want to say this, and I want to try to say this very, very carefully, and I hope people can get the heart of what I'm trying to say here. Uh, one thing this, pandem this pandemic has done, I think, is that it has revealed and it is revealing our idols. And even as followers of God, now if you would ask the Israelites, are you worshiping that? They said, no, 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 we're worshiping God. You know, so that's the problem. Idol worship some kind, sometimes can become very, very self-deceiving. And so I'm going to talk about some things, and people are going to think, no, 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 that's not me. But just, but just listen, sometimes we're self-deceived, and we start worshiping things without realizing that we're worshiping them. And I think the pandemic has, has revealed some of those things. In a month's time since this started, not quite a month now, but in a month's time, uh, we have been forced to face uh, our worship of materialism, consumerism, capitalism, nationalism, exceptionalism, um, individualism, and whatever other ism you want to add to it, you know, because these things are slowly being taken from us, um, and and we and what we used to depend on for safety and security are slowly being ripped from us, and so we have been forced to reckon with the fact that our priorities have been misplaced, and we have looked to other things to fill that void in our life that only Jesus could fill. We've looked to other things instead of looking to Jesus. Uh, all these idols are tonic. They feel good for a little while, uh, but they're really snake oil. You know, it's a false sense of hope. It's a false sense of, of reality. And I think that's one of the things that's happened. Um, and so the only thing that can save us and redeem us and heal us and forgive us and make us whole is Jesus Christ. There is no hope outside of a relationship with him. And, and maybe that's one of the things that we're learning. Uh, you know, so God brought this pandemic on us. Uh, 
right? Or, or we're going through this and God is showing us our need for repentance because we have been worshiping other things besides him. Now, here's where I may get in trouble, but I want to be careful. There's another idol that I think has been exposed during these days. And this idol has a direct connection to the bronze snake Hezekiah uh, shattered. And, uh, and that idol is our church buildings, you know, um, because that's become part of our worship almost to the point where we're worshiping the buildings. Um, many of us have found healing and comfort and salvation inside of our beautiful sanctuaries. And, there's a, a, and to a degree, that's all well and good. You know, to say that's my church home, that's, that's where I go to worship God. Um, those kind of things, there's a place for that. But if we're not careful, what's happened is we, we have put everything into the church building and have spent a tremendous amount of resources uh, to build and upkeep and maintain um, while the needs of the people around the church building have gone unmet. Uh, and so it's like we're, we're burning the incense to this structure that God meant for good, but now we're placing too much, too much emphasis, and too, we're replacing. You know, it's all about buildings and budgets and programs. Uh, that's what church is, right? Uh, that, that and that's all it's become. And now what God has said is, nope. <laughs> Let's see you get along without uh, the building for a little while. And so, by shutting our buildings, at least temporarily. God has shattered their illusion of sacredness. They're just buildings. The only time that building is sacred is when God's people gather into it. But right now, with nobody in those buildings, it's just brick and mortar. It's nothing. You see, and, and, uh, and maybe that's one of the things God is teaching us. Um, over time, here's, here's what I think I'm getting at. Over time, the expression of our faith has become building-centric and program-focused. Um, and maybe one silver lining of this virus is that it is reminding us that our faith is to be Christ-centric and community-focused, that the church is what happens outside the building, not what happens inside the building. And so for me personally, if that's the case, praise the Lord. You know, if it, if it rearranges our paradigm, if it rearranges our priorities, um, and we get back to meeting the needs of people over buildings and budgets and programs, then um, I'll be the first to say, God caused this to happen <laughs> so that we would repent and look back to Jesus. Look to Jesus and live, you know, is, is uh, I think an important aspect of all of this. And so we'll survive this. Well, let me stop there. I mean, what, what's going through your mind as I, <laughs> as I make that? those statements <clears throat> well I, I completely agree I th I th and I think uh, w you know to our ears now we hear the word worship and like are you worshiping this with this building um, but what I've kind of seen at least on you know uh, Facebook commentary and people's responses is the the degree to which they protect something they're defensive of something shows how much they're actually worshiping it even though they may not think that they're worshiping mm -hmm. that but when you start to threaten their building or to question that it's, you know, it was rendered useless overnight and the building serves nothing right now. And when we go back, it, it should show some perspective of how useless that building 
can be or you know can it be then put to a better purpose afterwards i've seen comments of you know this knee-jerk like ah no no it's fine we're gonna go back to doing this we're gonna go back to doing that and it's like you know we're only a few weeks into this you look at the the israelites who you know throughout history that's we look at the bible and we're able through histrionics to look back and go oh man how could they go right back to what they were doing before so easily when they had such an amazing miracle happen in front of them yet we do it constantly and that's that's kind of my fear now is if if this doesn't last very long if this is resolved quickly by easter yeah (laughs) will it make any difference at all other than the economic difference that it's currently making on people who are losing their jobs not having income coming in yeah for the long term as 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 believers is it going to have any effect on what we do yeah, and again, I, I, I struggle with the idea that uh, somebody is going to use Easter as the sign that all this is over with, things are going to get back to normal now. Um, and I know that there are churches right now who are just counting on the fact that they can have a outstanding, wonderful, um, energizing Easter Sunday service. It's the first time we're back. Um, the church has been resurrected. I struggled when somebody on the news said America would be resurrected on Easter Sunday. I struggled with that because that's nationalism. Um, and... Uh, uh, but this idea now that er- that already, I think, there are a lot of people who are turning and their hope is Easter Sunday we're going to be back together worshiping again. Now, for us, if you're part of FCC, sorry, it's not going to happen because the schools aren't even going to be open to the 24th. Yeah. So we cannot, uh, you know, uh, as far as I know, we cannot, we won't be allowed to go to the school on Easter Sunday already because the schools aren't open back up. Uh, but we can go to a park and stand 20 feet away from each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... But it's like, no, no, the, you know, res- the resurrection is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not about um, anything else. And, uh, um, and so already we're falling back into that, that, okay, we're going to make this Easter Sunday, if we're able to go back to our buildings, it's going to be the best ever. And it's right back into the swing. It's like we have not learned anything uh, about what God has, I think, been wanting to teach us. Because remember, no matter what we're going through, the one thing we know is that God wants us to grow deeper into him through it. We, he wants us to lean into him even more. Um, and so, uh, but, but we'll see. And, I, you know, um, for us, I think maybe, I mean, we're, we're as guilty as anybody, right, as a church. Uh, but the fact that we've been in a school for so long, we, we don't have those same ties. Uh, but, uh, but yet we still can become, we still worship the building instead of that. And that's really what I want to close with. You know, we're going to survive this pandemic. The Bible says nothing will separate us from God's love. Uh, The church will persevere until Christ returns. I'm confident of that. I'm confident that God is going to show up and do something spectacular and miraculous uh, in this time. Uh, It may look different for everybody, but he always shows up. Um, But until then, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus and not look to anything else. Keep our eyes on Jesus. And so here is the overriding lesson uh, of this long <laughs> Bible study. Thank you for tuning in the whole time if you made it. But this is kind of the big picture idea. Be it vipers or viruses, let us not worship the healing. Let us worship the healer. Let us not worship the deliverance. Let us worship the deliverer. Let us not worship our salvation. Let us worship our Savior. I think that's the overriding lesson in, uh, in this story and how Jesus uh, applied it. Uh, 
so any any closing com or any comments before I, I I pray? No, no. I think uh, I think it's a lot to to chew on this week, and we'll have opportunities to to connect online. We'll talk about that in in a second. But uh, okay, yeah. All right. Well, let me read this prayer. Um, it's based on uh, Luke chapter four, verses one through thirteen. Uh, it's a prayer of commitment. Go now and live in the spirit of your baptism even when you are led into wild and hard places. With repentance and trust, give yourselves to God, and with fasting and prayer, strengthen yourselves against the ways of the tempter. And may God enfold you in tender and lasting love. May Christ be beside you in times of struggle, and may the Spirit guide you back in the path whenever you stray, that we may keep the covenant. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of uh, Floods of Justice and our Sunday edition of Franklin Community Church. Um, if you would like to connect with us further, we are doing a live Zoom conference on Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Uh, you can find that link on the Franklin Community Church uh, Facebook page if you're not on the, the mailing list. Uh, it's open to anyone and everyone, so you don't have to be part of the church family, um, but you're welcome to join in, kind of tune in. And we're also going to do a Zoom on Sunday at 3 p.m. also. Yes, that's right. So if you're watching this in the morning, um, in the afternoon, 3, 3 p.m., you said, it'll be the same link. Uh, just click on that. Uh, there's a tutorial you can watch, um, but you just click on the link and you can view it through your browser, or if you have the app on your smartphone or computer, you, uh, you can do the Zoom conference through that as well. Um, it's a great opportunity for us to see you, hear you, and for you to see and hear us and kind of see how everybody's doing in the midst of, of all of this. Um, but once again, thank you for joining us. We're going to close out with uh, a prayer that we have as our, our church prayer for the year. Every year um, there's a, a new one that's, that's constructed that kind of uh, captures our heart and goals uh, for the year. And this one... Um, We'll have this on the screen as well here. As we leave this place of worship and fellowship, uh, may our prayers be the same as the prophets of old. From the prophet Amos, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-ending, like a never-failing stream. From the prophet Micah, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And may we put feet to our prayers like the prophet Isaiah admonished. Stop doing wrong, learn to do right, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. As we do these things, enable our lives to be light that will shine before men so they may see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. Amen. 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 Have a great week. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Join the conversation online at floodsofjustice.com or find the Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin.